Hey podcast, Kevin Altman here with Alt Monster Fishing. Today's episode, we are going to talk about should you buy into the fads, the latest and greatest that comes out every year. Should so, should you buy into the fad? The answer is yes, the answer is also no. The answer is yes because when it comes to things like electronics, uh, fishing lines sometimes, trolling motors, sometimes outboard motors, sometimes even the, the boat design. You should buy into that because that's where all the new technology is going to be. If you are a recreational weekend angler, you occasionally fish the charity tournament, and you are very versed in how your current electronics and everything works, then by all means stick with what you have. But if you are a serious tournament angler, you are a regional angler, you travel outside your home state, you're aspiring to be more of a, of a touring fisherman, then yes, you need to stay up to date with at least your electronics and your trolling motor. A lot of guys still get by without uh, shallow water anchors with the invention of things like spot lock and that, but you, you need to stay up to date with the electronics and you need to be very well versed in the use of those electronics. You need to know the ins and outs, all the quirks, all of the all of the little hidden things about the electronics that you choose to use, whatever brand that may be. What you shouldn't necessarily buy into is all of the lures. Okay? Because some of these lures that you see on uh, fishing episodes of the Bass Pros, of Strike King, Fish Hard, of you know, some of these brand specific shows, some of those lures are specifically designed for specific applications. So some of the designs of the plastics are designed specifically for punching, or they're designed specifically to put as a trailer on the back of a bladed jig to come through grass easier. You know, so you have to really look at where you live, where you fish, how you fish, and kind of make a decision from there. Should you try it? Sure, why not? You know, buy a buy a pack or two and a color that you have confidence in. You know, just don't just go out and spend, you know, four hundred dollars on on the 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 uh, latest design of soft plastic creature bait just because they make it look like it's you know going to help you put thirty pound five fish limits in the boat every tournament. It's just not reality unless you live in an area where that's a routine possibility. You know, uh, the year that Kevin Van Dam won the Bassmaster Classic in the Louisiana Delta where he used the Chartreuse Blackback uh, Strike King 1.5. It was a prototype when he used it. They released that thing after the Bassmaster Classic and you couldn't buy one for four months. You know, I still have caught very few fish on that particular color. I have occasionally certain situations on that color of wigglewort, but on that particular uh, bait, I don't honestly use a Striking 1.5 very often. I use several other brands and, you know, it's just not, it's just not my thing. So, you know, sometimes it's not going to work out for you and you're going to have spent, you know, a buttload of money on, on the latest fad that just got released or the latest lure that you just saw, you know, somebody like Kevin Van Dam win a Bassmaster Classic on, and you're going to want that. So, 
you know, one fad I bought into that was successful for me was the Berkeley Trigger Craw. After Skeet Reese won down south, won a Bassmaster Classic on a Berkeley Trigger Craw, I actually went out and bought quite a few. And I've had great success over the years with the Berkeley Trigger Craw with Texas style on the back of a jig, on the back of a, of a, a swim jig, on, on the back of a, a bladed jig. So it just kind of depends. It depends on what what you fish for, how you fish, and the region of the country that you fish. Now, if you, you know, say you're going to go to Florida to fish a tournament or you're planning a trip to go down somewhere like the Harris Chain or, you know, Lake Okeechobee, and there's a new, a new soft plastic design that's specifically designed to get through that kind of vegetation, absolutely, you should probably pick some of those up. But as far as overall with with a lot of these new things, you know, there's the sayings out there, do do some of these lures catch fish or do they just catch fishermen? And I think it's honestly, in most cases, probably 50-50. Because over the years, over my lifespan, you know, there's always been the latest and greatest lure and then there's always the tried and true. There's a lot of tried and true baits that people get away from when, you know, um, a fad comes in. For instance, the underspin. You know, putting a swim bait on a jig head with a with a little spinner bait blade on the bottom side of it has kind of fallen by the wayside because of the Alabama rig. Alabama rigs become extremely popular. There's so many different designs and so many different manufacturers and wire uh, numbers of wires and numbers of blades, and it's just it's, sometimes it borders on the ridiculous. But sometimes simple is better. You know, single bait, single blade. You can control it a lot, a lot better don't have to throw it on a surf rod, a 65-pound braid, and a gigantic reel. I mean, you, you can fish it on 12-pound test line with a regular setup that you can hold in your hand all day long. So you're not going to wear your shoulders out. But it's it's just up to you and, and what you want to do. But, you know, just my two cents. I think that a lot of folks just, you know, they're, they want to be like the pros. They want to catch fish. They want to bring five fish limit to the scales every time. And when you see particular fishermen catching fish consistently, then you know you, you kind of lean towards, man, I should probably give that that uh, that lure or that type of lure a try. So, hope this helps some of you out, uh, and uh, I hope uh, you know you guys don't don't end up spending a lot of money that you wish you hadn't spent. You know, if so, uh, I'll probably see you on eBay buying buying some of it up. So, hope to see you on the water. God bless. What's up, podcast? Kevin Altman here with Off Monster Fishing. In today's episode, we talk about fishing line. The things that I've done over the years, tried out, the things that I do to help maintain my line on my reels and storage. So, let's get right into it fishing line. This is an, an endless topic, in, in my opinion. Have any of you ever been to Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's or Academy and just looked at the sheer vast amount, brand, type, size, the diameter of the line, of fishing lines available to us today? It is absolutely, absolutely incredible. It can be confusing. It can be overwhelming. You can look at some of the prices and just be completely discouraged 
and want to just not do it at all. However, here we're going to talk about a few things to maybe help you out. I used to watch the, the Bass Pros television show religiously, and there was a segment that they did at the end. It was like the art of angling with Rick Klon, and he talked about that unless he absolutely had to use something different, he used 20-pound monofilament, period. He didn't get into the braids. He didn't get into the floor carbons. The man's in his early 70s and had a phenomenal career, four Bassmaster Classics, tons of wins, lots of money. He's been in the industry since Christ was a child. I mean, he's he's just, if you follow fishing at all, you know who Rick Clunt is. As a matter of fact, he's going for a three-peat on the St. John's River this, this weekend. He won 2016, he won two Bassmaster League in 2019 last year, and he's hopefully going to do well again. He's all about fantasy fishing. And then you have people uh, at the opposite end of the spectrum of fishing line, um, like Aaron Martins. I mean, the guy uses five-pound test. I'd never heard of five-pound test line until uh, I heard of Aaron Martins. I'd never heard of five-pound test line. I mean, what's the difference between six-pound and four-pound that you need five? Well, I'll tell you, and that is he's from out west originally. He lives in Alabama now. Uh, when he said he wanted to become a touring pro, but he started tournament fishing out west in California. And I've watched uh, and listened to many people from out west in those super clear mountain lakes, Clear Lake, uh, Lake Shasta, and a lot of those lakes. And four-pound test line is too small, a six-pound test line is too big. So in my opinion, that's where the five-pound line came from because these guys are catching gigantic spotted bass in water that you can see the bottom in almost 30 feet. That's right. You can see the bottom in almost 30 feet of water. That is just amazing to me. And that man, Aaron Martins, is an incredible fisherman, and he is extremely meticulous and picky about what he does. So there's your two extremes, in in my opinion. And then everybody else, the rest of us, we kind of fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, Me personally, I... I like, as I said in a previous episode about uh, spinning reel setups, I experience personally with all fluorocarbon on my reel a lot of twist, regardless of the presentation that I'm that I'm using. And I always hand close my bail. Always want to hand close the bail with a spinning reel. You never, ever, ever want to turn the handle to make the bail. It puts pressure on the spring. It puts pressure on the gears, and it creates an incredible amount of extra twist that you don't. So with that, I, I'm a vicious guy. Vicious fishing line, I've used vicious fishing line since vicious fishing line came out uh, many years ago. Uh, Gerald Swindle you know, used to promote them early on, and so did a few other guys, and I, I just love vicious fishing line. I've always, I've always loved their original fluorocarbon. I've used their original fluorocarbon from, since, the, since I started using fluorocarbon. It's the only fluorocarbon uh, I've used. Actually, I take that back. That's a lie. I use Best Pro Shops. 100% fluorocarbon for a little while because when it first came out, it was the cheapest. It was what I could afford. Um, but you can buy a 500-yard spool of vicious 100% fluorocarbon for around 25 bucks at most local tackle shops. A local tackle shop near me uh, in St. Louis, Bullseye Bait and Tackle off Interstate 70 uh, at Bryan Road. 
you can buy a 500-yard spool, uh, 17-pound test and below for around $25. And that's going to get you through through a lot. That's going to that's gonna get you through a lot of fishing trips. Um, so well, what size line do you need? Do you need fluorocarbon? Do you need monofilament? Do you need a copolymer or a blend of, you know, uh, different uh, resins? Do you need braid? When do you need braid? Oh, you know, there's all these things that go through our heads that, Companies are trying to sell product. Tech shops are trying to sell product uh, that's been, you know, reps have gotten them to carry. So, you know, what what do, what do we need? I'm going to start with monofilament. Everybody knows monofilament. Strand was the first monofilament. It's still around today. Monofilament, to me, has, has its place. I typically use monofilament uh, with topwater. I'll... I don't like to use braid with top water unless I absolutely need to. I personally think unless you're using um, a really high quality uh, fishing rod that has a lot of bend but still a lot of backbone, that the, the braid is really hard on on stiffer on stiffer action fishing rods. So I, I'm a monofilament guy with uh, with my top water, and I typically use uh, 20 pound monofilament. I I put it on uh, my lose tournament uh, MB. Uh, the MB was the series they just discontinued for the MP. Uh, similar reel, a little bit updated components, but great price point, 139 bucks. Can't beat the reel. Uh, holds a 20-pound monofilament well. I use everything from regular size pop bars all the way up to full-size Sarah Spooks, buzz baits. Uh, the smaller whopper ploppers, the, I typically use the 75, which is the short, fat whopper plopper, and I use the 110 a lot. Uh, if I use, if I go up to the 130, I do throw it on braid just because I'm typically making super long hands. But typically, uh, I'm using Vicious uh, Ultimate Monofilament uh, Clear, or I'll use uh, a little one with a green, a light green, 100 green tint to it uh, for water. I, if I feel they're short striking it. So I keep both spools in, in the boat. Um, so that's kind of what I use monofilament for. Uh, it's got a lot of stretch, and it stretches throughout the hook set cycle. So it stretches when you at the bend of the rod. It stretches at the lure. So its drawback is that it stretches a lot. And why that works well with top water, because we vis- visibly see that strike, and we tend to pull the bait away from the fish before the fish actually has the bait. Um, the monofilament gives us that extra time if we maybe pull the bait away a little too soon. Uh, the exception to the the topwater exception lure, in my opinion, that monofilament isn't necessarily that good for is the big whopper poppers. And I have thrown the 130 size on the on the 20-pound monofilament, it has a ton of stretch. Uh, so that's why I typically use, I use Vicious Ultimate Braid, 40-pound uh, braid is the braid I use on my, uh, on my bait casting reels. I just like it. It's a little bit thinner. It's not as bulky, and I, I like it. It works well for me. And I also use braid on a frog, uh, a rubber like a spro frog or KVD sexy frog, you know some of the the rubber frogs with the skirted with the skirted legs. 
uh, in my opinion, you want to braid on that because you're typically going to be fishing that in super heavy cover, or most guys are going to be fishing that in over heavy vegetation over the top of mats, and you want that braid to cut through vegetation. Uh, so let's dive into polymers and the fluorocarbons. Uh, a copolymer line is usually either a blend of fluorocarbon and monofilament, or it's literally is its own resin type depending on the brand. Um, I've used some in the past, but being a Vicious guy, Vicious doesn't have it. So uh, I'm pretty much all the time a fluorocarbon guy. Everything from finesse all the way up to my Alabama ring. And I'll even throw a whopper plopper on 20, 25 pound uh, fluorocarbon because while fluorocarbon is more dense than water and it typically sinks a whopper plopper you're not stopping it's a constant it's a constant motion so if i'm in fairly open water coming along the sides of docks coming down a rocky bank you know over the top of stumps i will throw the whopper plopper on on big heavy fluorocarbon as well um, but let's start with the small fluorocarbon uh, i mentioned earlier a few times that i really like braid on my spinning reels and i do i use Vicious Ultimate Braid. I use um, 15 pound, and I use 15 pound because of where I fish around a ton of docks and their cables. And what a lot of people do in the lakes that I fish that have a lot of docks, if they say have a, a lift, a boat lift that they're not going to be using anymore or becomes damaged because of weather or waves. They simply unhook it and let it sink to the bottom. So a lot of docks have, uh, you know, trash from, you know, when the current brings logs and stumps and other debris down, those settle underneath docks. There's boat lift parts, there's cables, there's remnants of cables. When people get new cables, some of these uh, dock repair companies, even though they're not supposed to, they just drop the cable remnants down thinking that, you know, maybe it will be good for the fish or they're just simply too lazy to Boot said to breathe. But regardless, I like 15 pound braid. I always use a size 30 or 300, which is the medium size reel. It has, uh, it has, usually has uh, good gears on my loose custom. It has a big spool, so it holds quite a bit of line. Uh, and then I uh, tie a fluorocarbon gear. So I, when I'm using my fluorocarbon for finesse, I bump up and I spend a little extra money on the Vicious Pro Elite. It had, it's, a little, it's a lot, uh, I don't want to say it's a lot clear, but it's it's, a little, it's their highest quality fluorocarbon. And I feel like it's a little bit more abrasion resistance, has some better knot strength, and it, it just it works better in the, in the lower pound uh, test class for me. And when I'm using finesse, I'm using, uh, if I can get away with it, I'm using 10-pound fluorocarbon. If I can get away with it. If the water's dirty or I'm using uh, a technique that's that's heavy enough, I try to get away with the 10-pound just because I want, I have the confidence in the, uh, the, the higher pound test, especially if I'm fishing around, jump around, docks, big big rocks, boulders, or if you're on a lake like Table Rock with a lot of deep sunken trees, I want to get away with the heaviest pound test fluorocarbon I can possibly get away with. 
So, and sometimes I didn't have to drop down to six. Um, and that's just reality. But now you have to make sure your drag is loose. You have a rod with a lot of bend. You have the ability to play, really play those fish and, and realize you're using six pound test line. So I'm using six, eight, four, 10 pound test line. Like I said, I try to get away with the highest um, pound test. Uh, typically, the majority of the time with the fluctuation in the water levels and colors and the lakes I fish, to be perfectly honest, typically my leader material is eight pound uh, pro elite for four carbon from fishes. That's, that's my, I just, I try to settle on that. Uh, and if I'm fishing around heavy cables, like, like I said, I try to come up. Uh, now to my bait casters. I, uh, I use the pro elite in the 20 and the 25 pound test because I feel it is a little bit thinner diameter than the original 100% vicious fluorocarbon. I feel um, it's a lot more supple. The resins they, the resins used to make the Pro Elite versus the 100% fluorocarbon, I feel in the larger pound test, the 20 and the 25, I feel uh, the resins in the Pro Elite uh, help that uh, fluorocarbon stay a lot more supple than when it sits on my reels for, for a little bit of time. It casts a lot smoother, casts a lot farther. Um, I feel, I just, I like the Pro Elite. Now, my everyday use line, my go-to line is 15-pound, 100% vicious fluorocarbon. Uh, the Pro Elite comes in 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 17, 20, 25. Uh, I, I like the 15-pound test. Uh, sometimes the 14 for me is a little too uh, small and the 17 is a little too big, but I can pretty much do whatever I want, how I fish, where I fish with the 15 pound floor cover. So uh, again, at local tackle shops, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's no longer carry Vicious, but a lot of local tackle shops do. You can buy, you can go to viciousfishing.com. Uh, you can order a 500 yard spool of 17 pound test and below 100% vicious fluorocarbon for around 25 bucks. Uh, that's a great value and it lasts. I get several fishing trips out of out out of my fluorocarbon. Uh, now, how much fluorocarbon do I use on my reels? Every single one of my reels, I have 17 pound monofilament at least half the spool, at least the bottom half. Every single one of my bait casting reels, at least halfway up, if not a little bit higher, is a monofilament backing. And then I simply, I'm sorry, I simply hold the monofilament and the fluorocarbon together. I wrap it around my finger once and tie a quick little overhand knot um, because I just want it. I, I merely just want the monofilament to pull the fluorocarbon into the reel. I'm not necessarily worried about, you know, getting down to my backing. So in other words, if I think I'm going to be making long casts with a big crankbait or a spinnerbait or possibly a big shaky head with like a big 10 or 12 inch worm, I have my reel with half, half of the monofilament backing and then I fill the rest with fluorocarbon. And then on uh, what I know I'm going to be making shorter casts, I'm going to be skipping jigs or pitching jigs, uh, you know, something close quarter. I'm going to have about a 
almost two thirds of the of the the bottom of the spool of monosilicon backing, and then the top third or a little more is gonna be the forker. That helps you save a lot of line. Uh, if you if something happens to the line uh, while you're on the water, I keep an extra spool in the boat so I can pull that off really quick and re-spool. So you know, there's there's a lot of ways you can cut costs, you can be more budget-minded uh, to yourself, and I think the vicious is there. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good floor carpenters. I'm, I'm not here to uh, say anything bad about any other brands. Uh, that's just not good practice uh, for anyone. Uh, those people have never done anything to me. Uh, I've never had issues with their products. I just, I'm on a budget, and I, I like I like the Vicious. Vicious is an American company. Uh, they started out making their line in Alabama, and I, I believe pretty much all floor carbons made overseas now. But uh, you know, I will tell you the most expensive floor carbon you can buy is Sunline, and that line, their 15-pound test uh, sniper, I believe it is, has like a 12-pound test diameter, but it has the strength of 15-pound test. And it's something crazy like that. It's a super thin, uh, thin diameter line that's that's strong. But you know, I don't want to spend forty plus dollars for a two hundred yard spool of fluorocarbon with as much line as I go through. Honestly, now uh, when I order my line from Vicious, I'm ordering eight hundred plus yard spools and more than one. I order I order a five hundred yard spool of six, eight, and ten, and then I order two 800-yard spools of all the other lines that I use. Now, I, I use all the different diameters. I use 10, I use 12, I do use the 14, the 12 and 14, and the Pro Elite. Uh, those are very technique-specific for me, though, and water temperature-specifics. For instance, if I'm fishing a wiggle ward, I love to fish a wiggle ward. I grew up fishing the River Pile of Wiggle Warts. I still have a bunch of them. I'm going to be using that on 10-pound Pro Elite or 12-pound Pro Elite. And the reason that is um, is because uh, it's it's now. I'm using now, and I'm using it in fairly open water. Uh, the fish aren't uh, super aggressive, and they're not fighting super hard. Even if you hook a 5, 6, 7, 8, 8-pound bass, I mean, you, you're going to have the ability to fight that fish and play it a, a little bit. Um, and the same goes for for the 10, 12, and the 14 with uh, my jerk baits, my stick baits. Um, typically, you know, you want you want your stick bait to be able to get down to its maximum depth or the depth that you want. So there's lots of things you can do to our stick baits. That'll be another episode that, that I talk about uh, stick baits and what I do to them. But this time of year, the water's cold. You you want it to get down. And the fluorocarbon's more dense, and so it gets... It, 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 after a couple of casts, it starts to help pull your bait down, uh, lowering the water cost. And, and this time of year, too, I'm typically using that 14-pound with my finesse jigs. So I'm going to use the 14-pound fluorocarbon in the cold water for my uh, for, for my finesse jigs. I use the jack baits, uh, DKP, uh, power finesse. It's a power finesse because it's a finesse jig with the the flared collar around the head, they come in 5 sixteenths and 7 sixteenths ounce, and there's two flat spots that help it crawl over rocks and cover, 
but it's a power finesse jig because it has a short, a short shaft, two times strong four out must have flipping hook in it, and that jig is stout. So, and when the water's cold, yeah, I'm throwing it on 12, on 14, maybe 12 pound test line if I have to, uh, to keep it in contact with the bottom and just literally crawl it and feel every rock I'm crawling over. But when the water warms up a little bit and I put a more aggressive style trailer on it, I'm skipping that thing under docks with 20 pound fluorocarbon. And I'm using a seven foot three heavy action, uh, a seven foot three heavy action loose uh, speed stick, and and I'm 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 laying it to them, and I know that hook's not going to bend down. Typically, your finesse style jigs are a ball head jig with a light wire hook, and you have to use 12 pound test line pretty much max on those because if you rock back with super heavy line and super heavy rod, you're going to bend the hook out, and now you're lose fish so you really have to you really have to pair what the line you're using to the action of the rod the technique that you're doing and those kinds of things which is why you know so many guys use have so many different um, so many different sizes of lines different setups and, and all of those things so you know if you but you know speaking budget wise here I really think vicious is the way to go with that. You're going to get a lot of line for a great price. Um, I'd spend the $10 on a bottle of the vicious line and lure conditioner, the Kevin Van Dam line and lure conditioner. You spray it on the reel, uh, spray it on the, on the spool, on the fluorocarbon uh, as you start to spool it on. And then when you're done, uh, spray it on the night before you go out, the morning before you go. It just really helps keep the line, you know, supple and helps uh, helps keep it from crunching up and, and getting real a lot of coil memory uh, on the spool. So, you know, I really think the you know 15 pound vicious 100% fluorocarbon and maybe an eight pound test is going to get you through great. You know, and then if you're somebody that doesn't fish a lot and you really want to be budget-minded, I bought uh, an 800-yard spool of ultimate monofilament for, uh, I believe, $11.99 or $7.99, something like that, at a, a farm at home. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with monofilament. There's People have been using monofilament for decades, and many of many a big fish and many uh, tournaments have been won by guys using monofilament lines. So, you know, I hope that helps the I've played with different kinds of line and fluorocarbon and sizes over the years, and, you know, that's what works for me. I hope that helps. Hope to see you on the water, and God bless. Hey, podcast, Kevin Allman here, All Monster Fishing. In this episode, we're going to talk about do you really need 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 rods, period. Do you need 10, 15, 20 rods on the deck of your boat? All right, so let's get into it. You're on a budget. Most of us are on a budget today. Do you need 10, 15, 20 plus uh, rod and reel setups? Um, and like the previous episode of, do you, should you buy into the, the latest and greatest fads? My, my answer is gonna be yes and no. If, if you are a serious tournament angler and you are pressed for time, you know you're trying to be as efficient as you can on the water because 
you just made a 30 mile run, your boat number 100, you have to be back to weigh in by 345, and you want to make the most of every minute you have to fish in the tournament, then yes, you probably need far more setups than your average angler. And if you are a serious tournament angler, then you probably need several setups of the exact same kind so that you're having to retie as little as possible. You probably need to have your boat set up to where you have easy access if you're fishing jigs, for instance, to where you have easy access to extra jigs and trailers so that you're not having to search all over your boat and waste a bunch of time. When I'm fishing a tournament, when I'm practicing for a tournament, I have, yeah, 10, 15, 20 rods on the deck, and they're all different. They're all different lures that cover all different depths, all different water columns, all different water colors, and I have limited time to practice. I have a full-time job. My kids play sports, so, you know, I may only have one day to practice where I fish at, you know, regionally. So I need to make the most of my practice day, and I usually launch the boat before daylight, and I usually don't come off the water until dark. But on the deck of my boat, I am going through the same area a couple times with different lures coloring, covering different uh, parts of the water column. I, I want to see where the fish are. I want to see what they're biting. I want to know if I throw a jig out there and I get a couple taps and say the, the jig is green pumpkin with a little bit of purple and I'm using a brown trailer with the claws colored with a little bit of chartreuse or something like that. And I get a couple of taps but they don't pick it up. I don't feel them pick it up. Well, I'm going to put that down and I'm going to pick up the same jig with the same trailer without the tips colored. And if I get another bite, but they don't pick it up, I'm going to completely change colors. Or I'm going to try to have a little bit heavier jig or a little bit lighter jig. I want to know, I want to establish in practice what, what I need to be doing the next day in the tournament. And in the tournament, I have all of my rods in the rod locker uh, situated so that I can get to them easily. I don't want to have to be searching around my rod box for a rod unless it's one that I absolutely 100% had no intention of, of having to use. But I usually always have my, you know, a, something that I know that I can get a limit on, you know, fairly easily accessible. But on the deck of my boat, I have always at least five rods. You know, sometimes if I'm, you know, I know I'm on a jig bite, then I'm going to have a couple different colors of jigs and I'm going to have at least two rods of the exact same setup so that if I break one off, I can just literally wind that up really fast and get right back in there with, with another setup that's already ready to go. It's all about efficiency. Now, if you are just starting out, on a real strict budget, you are the occasional tournament guy, the charity tournament guy, or you just love to fun fish, then you know what? I would say three good setups. You can do anything with three setups that I do with 20. And you need, I would say, a good spinning reel that has about anywhere from a six foot 10 to a seven foot one medium action rod, probably a fast tip so you can use a variety of techniques from weightless wacky, shaky head, maybe even a light jig, uh, single swim baits. You know, you can 
you can vary what what you're using with that setup. So I love uh, Lose. Uh, I use Lose Custom. It's a 6.2 to 1 gear ratio. I like the fast gear ratio on a spinning reel because I am oftentimes using that that reel to get line back in. I'm using a, a target specific when I'm using a spinning setup, like I'm skipping a wacky worm under docks or I'm skipping a shaky head you know, into a brush pile. When I come out of that brush pile, I want to get it back to the boat, get it right back into where uh, I feel the strike zone is. So I like the faster gear ratio. All of my spinning rods, ha all of my spinning reels have a 15 pound vicious braid and that allows me to tie a fluorocarbon leader a pound test of my choice and I usually have about anywhere from a 15 to a 30 foot fluorocarbon leader depending on uh, the clarity of the water. The, the, the long leader simply allows me to retie my lure multiple times uh, throughout the day without actually having to put a new leader on. Uh, later episodes we'll get into uh, the knot I use uh, to put those two together. A bait casting setup. Um, you know, you don't have to drop a ton of money. Lose makes some phenomenal combos. You get, you can get a really good reel and a pretty good rod. You know, for around a hundred bucks, they, that's a pretty good deal. You don't need, you know, a super long rod. I, I recommend that you have an all-purpose setup. You know, a bait casting reel that is probably, you know, a 6.4 to a 6.8 to one. And what that means is that every time the reel turns around. 360 degrees the spool turns the 6.4 or 6.8 times so that tells you how much line you're bringing in with every time you turn the handle uh, so I would have something you know a seven foot uh, medium heavy with a moderate fast tip that's going to allow you to fish spinner baits crank baits um, you know you can fish light more light Texas rigs light jigs you can you can do a variety of things with that and then I would recommend a heavy setup you know, a seven foot three, uh, seven foot six heavy action rod with a 7.1 or greater gear ratio so you can pick the line up really fast. And what you're gonna use this for is, you know, jigs. You're gonna use it for maybe big crankbaits. You're gonna use it for maybe an Alabama rig or top water. You know, you want, you, you want a heavier, longer rod for those things. You can make longer casts. You know, you're not trying to be as pinpoint accurate, but if you need to be, then you can you can still pitch with that big of a rod. I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four, so I typically don't use rods much under seven foot because I can control that rod because I'm so tall and my arms are so long. But you know, honestly, folks, a really good spinning setup. Uh, you know, I love the loose custom. It comes with a really nice wind grip uh, handle. It's anti-slip. It helps you grip it. You know, a nice lose uh, tournament performance uh, rods. They're a hundred dollars. The lose custom reels, I believe, are sixty-nine ninety-nine, maybe seventy-nine ninety-nine. So for less than two hundred bucks, you have a phenomenal spinning setup that will get you, uh, will, will catch you fish for years and years to come. And then your bait casting setup of around a six foot ten to seven foot one, medium, medium heavy with a moderate with a moderate fast tip. You, you can do a lot of things with that rod. It's a really good multi-purpose setup. And then I, you know, 6.4, 6.8 to one. Um, and then your heavier setup, you know, a seven foot three to seven foot six heavy with a fast tip. 
So you can fish jigs, soft plastics, Texas rig, you can fish close cover, you can fish out offshore with it, you can do a lot of things with that and you want a 7.1 uh, or higher gear ratio reel so you can pick that line up or you can you can help horse that fish out of out of uh, out of that deep cover, that deep brush pile or out from underneath that dock. So, you know, do you need those all those rods? Are you a tournament fisherman? Then yes, you do. Because you need to be as efficient as you can on the water. But if you like to fun fish, honestly, or more importantly, are you a co-angler? Are you fishing the, the BFLs? Are you fishing, you know, a club? Are you fishing in a club where it's a random draw and you're a non-boater? You know, those three setups right there are, are going to cover you. No matter what your boater's fishing, no matter what kind of water they're they're fishing in, you you're you're set, and you're not taking up a bunch of space. And he or she who is the boater is going to appreciate that, so that though they're not climbing over your stuff throughout the day as well. So I hope that helps. Uh, hope to see you guys on the water, and God bless. Hey, what's up, podcast? Kevin Altman here with Alt Monster Fishing. Today's episode, uh, I'm going to try to motivate you guys. I'm going to call some of you out I'm not calling anybody out by name just I mean call you out in in general and I'm gonna try to drop some real ish here in the the next couple minutes and try not to use a a whole lot of bad language even though it's is in my typical daily uh, vocabulary you know I understand some some younger folks might listen to this so but let's let's jump right into it and um, what I what I'm trying to get you know, through to you guys is that when you listen to, you know, the, the giants of the fishing industry or the giants of any industry, you listen to Warren Buffett talk, you listen to, you know, you listen to Steve Jobs talk when he was still alive, you can still YouTube his when he gave speeches, and you listen to uh, Denzel Washington's commencement speeches that he has given, they're all over social media, they're all over YouTube, and bits and pieces on Instagram and on Facebook and there was a, an, uh, a multi-star admiral that gave uh, a speech about start the day by making your bed. And if you can't do the little things right, you're never going to be able to do the, the big things right. That's, a, that's nine minutes that's well worth listening to on social media. I believe it was the commencement speech at uh, University of Texas, one of, the, one of the universities in Texas. Um, if you're, so to be a, even a, regional professional, semi-professional, touring professional, fisherman, you are an entrepreneur. You are going into business for yourself. Yes, you're paying to play, but you're you're trying to earn money. You're trying to gain sponsorships. You want people to invest in you. That is an entrepreneur. You are selling yourself. And to sell yourself, you have to believe in the product that you're selling. Some of you don't even look up at folks when you shake their hand. You don't grasp their hand with a firm handshake and I know that's old school and I know that you know that a lot of people don't put a lot of stock in that but you know what there's a lot more people that do than you think and you've got to look people in the eye when you say hello and you've got to have confidence and you've got to have energy if you go into somewhere and you're just like hello my, my name's John I'm a, I fish Nobody's going to believe you. I mean, sure, they're going to maybe believe that you fish, but they're not going to believe that you're any good. You don't have any confidence about yourself. Listen to people, and I, I mentioned this in, in a previous episode, about surrounding yourself with like-minded people. 
or even better yet, surround yourself with people that are better than you. They, they've already accomplished what you want to accomplish. That is how you get better. You know, you, my dad used to teach me growing up that you can go playing basketball, you can go beat a bunch of kids by 100 points, and they were never a good team to begin with. There's no honor in that. Or you can go get beat by five by a team that is substantially better than you. And even though you lost, you still learned a whole lot more from losing than you do winning. There's always something to learn in life. And I highly recommend that any of you listening to this and you're, you're young, you're old, I don't really care. If you want to better yourself in any way, shape, or form, then you need to develop yourself. You need to have confidence in yourself. You need to be healthier. You need to be more fit. Whatever, whatever it is. I can tell you from personal experience and injuring myself on the job 10 years ago that being overweight and out of shape and eating unhealthy is not a really good way to live your life and it will catch up with you eventually. But I, I got hooked up with a company that was accused of many things uh, in recent years, but they were a health and wellness company. And, you know, they did they did conventions all over the country and they had a product. It was a protein shake and they had other other fun products. But you know what? Every time I went to one of those events, it was full of energy. It was full of confidence. And they instilled confidence in their their brand reps, which is what I was, and I sold the product, I used the product. I still use the products today to some extent. But what they recommended has been invaluable in my life. I was only with them a short amount of time, but what I learned from the people I surrounded myself with, they were all better than me. They all made substantially more money selling a product than, than I did. But they taught me how, and it was about confidence, and it was about selling yourself and believe making the people believe in what you were selling and you weren't selling that company's product you were selling yourself because if they believed you they would believe in the product so they highly encouraged us to listen to some of the the great motivational speakers and early entrepreneurs such as Jim Rohn and John C. Maxwell and Zig Ziglar and a lot of these entrepreneurs that turn motivational speakers but they have phenomenal wisdom about personal development and um, growing your personal wealth and having a side business and you know now it's, a lot of people call it a side hustle but you, you you have you don't know what you don't know so if you've not grown up being an entrepreneur and and being a hustler and what I mean by that is you know buying something at a garage sale and turning it around on eBay or Facebook marketplace for you know triple or quadruple the the price that you paid for it that's a, that's a hustle um, you know you have to learn you have to learn somewhere and there's so many great speakers and so many great speeches that you can you can learn from and you can gain knowledge from John C Maxwell Zig Ziglar Jim Rohn some of the some of the greats and uh, ET guy his name's ET he's, uh, he talks about when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, when you want to win as bad as you want to breathe, now you know how to get to your goal. Now you know how to get to your success. Uh, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, he he uses the F word excessively, and I love that guy. He, he's uh, his family immigrated from from Russia when he was like two years old, and he took his family's wine company to an internet 
e-commerce business. Took him from a $3 million company to a $60 million company in just a couple of years. And he did that for his family, not himself, because he walked away to start VaynerMedia. He walked away with zero money from that deal. He did it for his family and their security. And he and his brother started VaynerMedia, and they have over 1,000 employees. They're, if you just type in Gary V, I mean, he has podcasts. He goes all over the world and, and speaks to people and, and talks about you know, having confidence in yourself and, and learning and just being observant and you know, paying attention to what's going on around you. And, and a lot, honestly, a lot of you, that's your problem. You don't pay attention to what's going on around you. You have no idea what's going on in the world. You, you just think that everything's just going to come to you and you're not going to have to work hard for it. And I'm telling you right now, if anything great in the world, if you want to accomplish something great, it should be hard or it's not that great. It has to be hard. You have to go through tough times. You have to go through failures. If you don't fail forward, then you're not moving forward. Everyone's going to fail. I fail all the time. I fail every day. I fail as a parent. I fail as a husband. I failed as a husband. I'm divorced. But... I'm remarried and I have a phenomenal relationship with, with my wife. I have a phenomenal relationship with my kids most of the time. But you you fail forward. And what I mean by failing forward is you, you learn from that failure. What did I do wrong? Who was successful in in why in that endeavor? And how does you know so failing forward is paying attention, you know, learning from it, not not dwelling on it, not going into a deep state of clinical depression because you didn't get the job or you didn't win the tournament or your line broke or your rod broke or, you know, you get in a fight with your parents or you get a bad grade. Freaking learn from it. Learn from it. Move on. Move forward. Grow. Educate yourself. Never stop learning. You're always learning. I'm in the fire service full time. I've been a paramedic for over 15 years. I've been in EMS for 20 years. And my job is always evolving. There's always new technology. There's always new procedures. There's always new medications coming out. I'm ever, ever learning. And guess what that applies 100% to? Fishing. If you have a bad tournament and you just throw the boat on the trailer and you don't watch any of the weigh-in and you're hanging your head and you're mad and you're cussing and you won't talk to anybody, guess what? You're not a very good fisherman. Because I guarantee you, if you don't even have to talk to anybody. Just go to the weigh-in and listen. Listen to guys talk. Just walk around and, you know, talk to people you know. And if you're talking to, you know, regional fishermen or local hammers or some of the professional guys, don't ask them what they caught the fish on. Don't ask them where. Tell them congratulations. And you hope to, you, you hope to beat them at the next tournament. You know, display some confidence. Earn some respect. But you have to give respect to earn respect. And it's not very respectful to walk up to other fishermen and be like, hey, what are you guys using? What did you catch them on? When, when you know good and well that, you know, that they're not going to tell you because there's a bunch of people standing around and they don't know you. There's people that I know very well that I don't tell exactly where, what, or how I caught the fish that I caught. It's, it's just not how it works because at the end of the day, I, I'm good friends with these people. And I consider a lot of them family. But at the end of the day, when, when they call my number, guess what? I'm there to beat them. Just like they're there to beat me. So, I, I'm, you know, the, this, the, everything that I'm talking about applies to fishing 100%. You have to have confidence. You have to have 
confidence that you're going to go out there, you have a plan. First of all, you got to formulate a plan. You can't just go fly out by the sea of your plants. Oh, this spot looks good. Oh, that spot looks good. Guess what? I guarantee you on local lakes, there's local fishermen putting out brush piles. There's local fishermen that have hundreds, if not thousands of GPS uh, waypoints saved from years past and, and new things and new brush piles. Someone is always willing to outwork you and you have to realize that you have to you have to set a goal that you know you can't reach and you always aspire to reach that goal and who knows maybe someday you will achieve that goal you want it always just out of your reach so you never stop learning and you never stop trying but some of you guys man you have a bad tournament i whacked 30 pounds in practice well yeah because you stayed in one freaking spot and caught your five fish limit of 30 pounds and went back there the next day and expected to catch those same fish and if fish are hiding under the biggest log or rock rock pile they can find yeah, sure, they might bite. They might bite one day, but where I live at in Missouri, this ain't Florida. You can't hook an eight pounder, send her back to the bed, come back 24 hours, and catch her again. That ain't how it works. That's very seldom how it works. Those guys that show that, they show that on fishing tournaments. That's probably one in 50 or 100 beds that that happens at. You've. But if you have a bad day, go to the weigh-in, listen, talk, congratulate the winners. You know, learn something. Clean up your boat. Show, show, show the people around you that you care. Carry yourself. Carry yourself with your head up. You know, there, there's a lot of people we can tell about one another through body language. You know, uh, linguists and people who study language, they, they talk about that uh, like 90% of our communication is nonverbal. Only 10% of our communication as human beings with one another is verbal. I can say hello to you and shake your hand with a smile on my face, but... If I'm, if I'm looking away from you or I, I don't shake your hand with firmness or I'm, my body's cocked to the side or I'm, you know, my body's real loose and I'm just acting willy-nilly and like I don't really want to be there, that's going to tell the person I'm saying hello to that I'm really not being genuine in what I'm saying, just in how I'm carrying myself. People notice that. People notice you. You start fishing regional tournaments and local tournaments, you join a club and you do well in a couple tournaments and you start showing up a lot and people are going to watch especially if you're a kid in high school they're they're going to watch you they're going to watch how you carry yourself i'll never forget an event i was at at table rock with my dad and there was a national uh it was a regional but there was kids from all over the the midwest at at this high school event my dad and i were at you know our regional event at the lake at the on the same day and we, uh, our plan failed. Plan A failed. Plan B was eh, mediocre at best. So we pulled out plan C. And plan C was a weightless wacky worm with a spinning rod. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. If I could go down the bank with a trolling motor on high, with a, with a buzz bait or a crank bait, or even fish a jig fairly fast, you know, hitting spots and targets and flipping that, but no. We had to fish this weightless wacky worm slow, let it fall till it was almost out of sight, then bring it back within sight and let it go back down. And we saw uh, a high school kids, two high school kids and their boat captain. The boat captain was running the trolling motor in this particular boat so the kids could focus on the fishing. I think that's very admirable, especially since they were younger. I happened to notice with my dad, I typically run the trolling motor in our boat. Uh, my dad is, is in the back. It's He's fine with it. He's so it doesn't matter to me either way. So I had caught, we didn't have a keeper and it's like noon. We have to weigh in at four o'clock. We were a late boat number. 
so we're back in a in a big pocket and there's other boats in there and I started catching fish and at first they were kind of small but we passed this particular boat and the it was a boy and a girl and the the boy was sitting Indian style casting a uh, Texas style worm or brush hog or something and it hit the water and he'd work it back you see his rod move a couple times and he wind it back in and there was a girl sitting in the back not even facing the bank she was facing the pocket with her legs dangling off the boat uh, in the water just kind of dipping the tip of the rod and kicking her feet not not even fishing and I know they were in a tournament because they were wearing jerseys with sponsors and companies on them so we passed them going in a little uh, a little secondary pocket off the big off the big main cove and uh, right where they had just come from I caught uh, a keeper and a short fish and my dad caught a four pounder so we go down a little bit we fill out our limit so I we had all we had our five fish with a kicker so we had about 12 pounds I think uh, with that with that four pounder so we go back through and they watched us do it because we had just passed one another uh, in the little secondary pocket and they at, we said hello cordial everybody was really nice and uh, so we went down a little ways didn't catch any more fish so we it was a one-day event so we were gonna milk it we were going right back through where we just caught those fish because they were they were moving up shallow to spawn the four pounder four and a half pounder that my dad caught still had a clean tail and had a giant belly so she was very much still pre-spawn wasn't any bed we couldn't see any beds but we passed that boat again and you know it's a fairly local tournament so I, I told those kids I said hey you know how they said they hadn't caught any fish or they'd only caught one or two little bitty 12 inch or shorter fish in the lake we were on everything had to be 15 inches to be a keeper small mouth large mouth thin spotted bass mean mouths you know all the all the secondary species and I'll be I'll be damned if both of those kids when I showed them what we were doing said oh we hate fishing like that and then just went back to what they were doing. And, and I looked at their boat captain. I looked back at my dad, and his eyes were real big, and he shrugged his shoulders. And I looked at the boat captain and kind of kind of grinned, and he shrugged his shoulders and said, I saw what you were doing. I tried to tell them, and they won't do it. So we, I stopped and let them go by the inside of us fishing the bank. And then I let the wind push me back, and I went right back through where we just passed them and culled out our other four keepers so we had the four and a half pounder called every all the other four fish out that were all 15 and a half to 16 inches with 17 and a half inch long fish or better one of them being a three and a half pound spotted bass we ended up in 13th place one two places out of the money out of a I think it was a 70 boat field so we had in, ended up and we did all of our damage within it was noon when I started when I picked up the weightless wacky and we got to this little area and it was just an area where I know there's a lot of shelf rock and shale rock it's it's kind of flat there's a few little drop off for the creek channel just kind of ping pongs back and forth in this giant pocket and every year fish move back into this area uh, and come up shallow. We catch crappie, spotted bass, everything, smallmouth, largemouth, everything. 
So we went back there as kind of a plan C. Let's see what we can do. And then we'll start heading back towards Wayne and hit our hit a few other spots on the way back. I didn't even hit a few spots on the way back. We literally, in an hour and 45 minutes, had our, I think we ended up with uh, 15 and a half pounds or 14 and three quarter pounds, something like that for, like I said, for like 13th place, two places out of the money. We were less, we were less than half a pound away from a, a decent sized check. We were a pound away from uh, a top five finish. So, and we just, we, we fished clean that day, didn't have an opportunity in any other bigger fish, but you know, you guys have got to, you, you've got to stop complaining. You got to stop worrying about if somebody is fishing in an area you want to fish or somebody cuts you off, man, who cares? My dad catches bigger fish than me out of the back of the boat every tournament, every single tournament. And he's fishing out of the back of the boat. We're fishing the same water. There's guys that come, come pull in a cove behind us that we're leaving and they catch big fish. And we pull in places where guys cut us off and we catch big fish behind them. There's, you, you guys have got to get over yourselves and stop whining and complaining, thinking somebody owes you something because you got to earn it all in fishing, kids. You, you're not fishing against your other competitors. You're fishing against the time clock and you're fishing against the fish. So remember that when you guys are fishing a tournament. I don't care how small it is. I don't care if you're fishing a five-boat club tournament on your local little uh, community private lake. Go out there to win. Go out there with confidence, some swag. Be nice. Don't be an arrogant jerk-off about it, but have some freaking confidence. And remember, nobody owes you anything. Build your confidence. Learn. You don't You don't have to... There's some great guys in the fishing industry that give wonderful motivational talks and, and education, but you can learn a lot about life in general from searching out some motivational speaking mentors and following them on social media, watching their videos. It's all free. It's all free. All right. All right, guys. I hope to see you on the water. God bless. Hey, podcast. What's up? Kevin Allman here with All Monster Fishing. Driving in my truck right now, thinking about uh, a tournament I have coming up this Sunday, possibly, uh, on Lake of the Ozarks, where I live, thinking about the water conditions. That lake has been all over the place with all of the the rain that we've had and it's some areas are dirty some areas are are okay the water's cold it's muddy it's up it's down it's it's uh it's a pretty tough fight some guys are really on them but this episode i really want to talk about what you suck at what you suck at in fishing and i want to talk about a lot of things but you have to become good at what you suck at in order to become a better a better fisherman. If you suck at being a person, I can't really help you much with that. But what I'm talking about, uh, for instance, I could not, for the life of me, skip a lure with a bait casting rig. I was fortunate enough uh, to live west of St. Louis on a little private community lake that was absolutely chock full of docks. There wasn't very much bear bank on that entire lake. It's like 650 acres, I believe, and it is just chock full of uh, pole docks where the, the metal poles are anchored down into the into the silt as far down as they'll go. And I watched a couple YouTube videos. I asked several of my buddies, and I bought a couple of uh, Jack Bates Dock Rock skipping jigs. And I went out there, and that was the only thing I had in my boat. It was the only thing I had in the boat. I really didn't care if I caught a fish. 
to be perfectly honest with you. All I cared about was figuring out what worked for me, what what angle I needed to be at. Because was I going to be able to skip in a pitching type of emotion or simply an underhand roll cast? And what angles did I need to have the boat at in order to be able to do that with these docks? And I also had to imagine, as the majority of the tournaments I fish are team events, I had to worry about someone being in the back. So while I was in the boat alone, I tried to make sure that I had the boat control and the boat position so that the guy in the back of the boat, which is 99% of the time my dad, has angles to cast as well. I can't be the only guy, I can't hug the docks and be the only guy making a cast. That's that's not fair, and that's not being a good, a good team member. So I went out there for two solid days while my kids were in school. I dropped them off at school, go home, and lost the boat on the lake. And I went out there with two rods and those jigs. Only thing I had tied on. One was half ounce, one was three-eighths ounce. I didn't really care if I caught fish. I ended up catching some fish, but I, I, I learned a lot about how I can skip, at that time, just a jig and what type of jig and what type of trailer I needed and the pound test. And what I found to be a very important aspect as well was was the amount of line on your reel. So if you're going out with the intent of learning to skip a, a jig, for instance, you know, I highly recommend you take almost a fourth of the line off the top of the spool so that this, you don't get a lot of overruns. You don't, you know, the, the line stops. And I highly recommend that you, uh, you loosen the, the magnet and you crank down on the right-hand side and crank down the brake on the, the left-hand side all the way if needed until you get used to it. As you get used to it, start backing the, the brake off as well. But, you know, I I know things that I need to work on are big structure jigs offshore, Carolina rigs, uh, learning my electronics, learning to graph offshore and what I'm looking at and, and why. So the only way to get better at those things is to do them. I plan on uh, very soon, you know, when I get some time here during the weeks, that I'm going to go down to the lake. I'm going to take the two-hour, 45-minute one-way drive, and I'm going to go out with the Carolina rig, and I'm going to figure that thing out because I know there are times where that is beating me flat out. I'm getting beat on a Carolina rig, and I don't like it. I, I hate losing more than I hate winning. Uh, Billy Bean said that in uh, Moneyball, and that is true. I absolutely hate to lose. Hate it. And I and I hate losing by a, by a small margin even more. So I'm going to go out, and I'm going to go out with, with two rods rigged with Carolina rigs, and I'm going to figure this thing out. And I'm going to do it so that I want to be able to know. I want to be able to feel the bottom. I want to be able to learn. I'm, I'm learning what types of areas that I need to be, you know, fishing that Carolina rig. And the time the time of year depends on how long the leader is and how big your bait is and, and all those kinds of things. So, you know, and I know what I'm pretty good at, so I, I don't necessarily think I need to go out and practice those things. You know, Jack Bates came out with the Kraken. My daughters actually helped name that jig, which I think is absolutely incredible. But it's a giant one, you know, we have half, three-quarter, one, one-and-a-half-ounce jig that 
has a uh, a triangular shaped head and it's a big structure jig. It is for fishing deep ledges, deep brush piles, you know, deep channel bends where there's a bunch of junk down on the bottom. So I need to learn to fish that jig. I don't fish it very well. I fish it well up pretty shallow or off the side of a, of a deeper dock, but actually being offshore. And that brings me to my grass. I'm doing pretty good with my live scope on the trolling motor, but I'm not very proficient with reading my maps on my console grass and following those contour lines, pay, paying attention to contour lines when I catch a fish. You know, this time of year, that, that could mean the difference of catching fish and not catching fish. If you catch a good fish and you're not paying attention to literally everything around you, the type of bank, the way, the way it slopes off the ground into the water, your water color, temperature, the wind direction, where, what time of day it is for angle of the sun and, you know, making that water a degree or two warmer. If you're not putting all those kinds of things to, together, you go to the next area and it may look similar, but you may be off five or 10 feet off your contour lines. And I, I just, I've never really paid attention to that or been very good at it. So, you know, if you know there are things you're not good at or you, you suck at something, if you suck at backing the boat down or driving your boat, you know, you're not comfortable driving it at a speed that it's capable of or, you know, driving in rough water. I'm not telling you to go, you know, put your boat on the lake when it's rolling three-footers and, and get in a dangerous situation, but the only way to get better at fishing is to fish. The only way to, to learn a new technique is to force yourself to do that technique and learn that technique. You got to go out with the mindset of, I don't really care if I catch a fish the next three times I go out. The next three times I go out, the only thing in my boat is going to be a Carolina rig. And I'm going to learn this thing. I'm going to learn what I'm feeling on the bottom. I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn this stuff. That's the only way to, to get better. And since, since I learned to skip a jig on that little community lake that I live on, I, I mean, I'll I've gotten pretty decent with spinner with a spinner bait, with a bladed jig, with our our jack baits finesse jig. I've, I've gotten really proficient, and I'm working on a few other things because I know if you get, you know, a little 1.5 maybe, and the water's you know real slick calm, you can get that up underneath, you know, some of those docks, especially if you got a, a walkway that sits high up off the ground, or excuse me, high up off the water. So. I highly encourage you, if you know you suck at something, go go do it. Go learn it. Don't just watch a YouTube video on it. Don't just watch it on, you know, on the fishing shows. That's that's great for helping you process it in your mind of how it's supposed to look or how it's supposed to go. But the only way to get better at it is to actually go do it yourself. So it's one, something I've been forgetting to tell you guys. Check me out on the socials. We've got Facebook, Instagram. I'm getting YouTube channel up and going. There's a couple videos, uh, short videos on there. Uh, on TikTok, uh, Instagram, my personal page is Kevin Altman. The fishing page is Kevin Altman Fishing. Instagram is at altmonster underscore fishing. Uh, TikTok is altmonster2665. I do have altmonster2665 on Twitter. And I got the YouTube, which is uh, Kevin Altman as well. God bless. Hope to see you on the water.